Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. So without further ado, let me welcome to the show my good friend, Curtis Nally, who's again, the CEO and founder of Lending America. Curtis, how are you today, my man? Absolutely fantastic. Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time with us and giving us the opportunity to share our story and really help some of your students out. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. I, uh, you know, you and I have, I was actually doing the math on it today. We, this, we're in our third year now of working together since we were introduced and I cannot for the life of me remember who introduced us, but whoever you are, wherever you are, I'm super grateful for you because uh, Curtis is a, a really important relationship in my life for reasons that we'll, we'll be discussing. Um, but I appreciate you taking the time here today. And I, and I actually think this, this conversation is gonna help a lot of people it's maybe not like the flashiest, sexiest conversation. Initially, people might be like, well, that's great. You know, I, I, I watch Jeff because I want him to teach me how to make a million dollars. But like the reality is it's, it's a lot harder to make a million dollars if you're starting with zero dollars and you have no way to get dollars, right? That's, that's a fact. Yeah, I mean, and I know that from experience. Uh, my, both my wins and my losses have been possible because I was able to get access to money, other people's money. You know, it's honestly, it's the number one question I get. Now, I know you get the question because you're in the funding business, but I, I get the question too. It's like, I really want to do this thing, but I ain't got no money. What do I do? Well, let me introduce my friend Curtis because he's, he's, he's the guy to know when you're in that situation, but also he's going to tell us uh, in this conversation, you know, how to, how to not be in that situation, basically. Um, but before we get into that, Curtis, totally selfishly, because you and I have been friends now for, like I said, going into our third year here, but I've really never heard the story of like, who was Curtis before he was, you know, I saw you on the, on Grant Cardone's show. Uh, well, I guess that was for maybe a year ago before you were that guy, before you were the ask the pro credit and funding guru. Um, who were you, man? How did you get into this? Just back me up however many years and, and tell me, you know, what got you into this? And, 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 and actually, before you do that, let me just kind of frame the question. The whole point of my show is I like to, well, one of the points of my show, I should say, is I like to take guys like you, guys like me, guys like many of the guests that I've had and I've been fortunate to interview that have, you know, that have had a lot of success, right? I mean, you funded over a billion dollars in loans and frankly, you've taken a a fee on all that. So I can only imagine you've been able to prop yourself up for a pretty nice life. And you've got, you've got what a lot of people want, which is like, how do I build a great life for myself? Right. I like to take people like, like that and no offense. I like to strip you down, pull you out of the clouds, pull you off your pedestal, bring you back down from the mountaintop that the internet likes to put us on and be like, no, Curtis is just a dude. Curtis is just an ordinary guy right? And he just, he knew some things because I believe that, you know, the right knowledge can facilitate almost anybody in the world that we live in now, completely transforming their quality of life. And you're just a guy who got the right knowledge at the right time and therefore was able to do some, some things. So that's, anyway, that's kind of the context of the question, because I think that's really inspiring to people when they realize like, hey, I'm just a little nugget of, of right knowledge away from taking steps to radically transform my life. So take me back to how that happened for you now that I've 
asked you that really long-winded question. For sure. So um, I always tell people this. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, if anybody can build a business, um, I, I built a business. I, I assure you any person can. And my background, I, I grew up in Wyoming um, in a very small trailer in a very expensive place called Jackson, Wyoming. I was blessed um, to be lucky enough to have a, a father who was an entrepreneur, uh, maybe not the best entrepreneur, but uh, he taught me a really, he taught me a really good mindset of being just being humble and uh, really investing in things that are important to help me grow, not, not in not expending things on getting loans or going to college or uh, getting uh, like expensive cars and all this other stuff, right? Um, and I also had a, a great uh, an uncle, um, his brother, who was the other end of that, right? He was kind of that, that guy was in the same industry as my father, but had a much larger staff, leveraged himself to success. So I was fairly fortunate to be able to view those things when I was growing up. And I think that helped me a lot lead to the person that I am today. I was also very fortunate to meet people like you in my life, Jeff, um, and other people that have helped me along that process as well, because at the end of the day, we're a referral-based company. We don't pay, we don't do paid advertising. We rely on people like you to facilitate customers and, and create great products, right? So what really got me into the lending space is kind of a weird story. Um, I actually used to be uh, pretty prominent in the sales industry of Utah, um, where a lot of the seminar companies um, that uh, are still prevalent today um, did a lot of high ticket selling. Um, our, I think we were selling programs back then, fifty dollars to $100,000 for real estate programs and, and other ventures, basically putting people in a business situation. And it, it's very common when you're taking a consumer and you're transforming them to a business owner. Most people don't have 50 grand just lying underneath their couch sofa or stuffed away in their uh, bank account, right? Mm -hmm. So I converted and became the top, the, I mean, the top one half percent in our complete industry. I actually held competitions to see if people could beat me in, in, in deals. And the reason I was able to do that is because I took a different approach where all the other people in my space were going through and just trying to get money from people on what they already had. I was educating people on how to attain good amounts of, of lines of credit with no accrued interest. Then they could actually start their business without getting into a situation where they're either paying 27% on their credit card or taking out a, a very expensive business loan or going through the SBA process. Um, and I did this for many years, uh, almost about 10 years. And I got to the point where I realized that there's 24 hours in a day, right? And I could build a larger sales staff and I could continue to do that. But eventually what's going to happen is I was still exchanging my time for dollars. And we all know that that's never going to help you win. So that made me made the choice to kind of leave that industry and uh, really go out on my own. And I never had a plan of what I was going to do. I really was just like, hey, I'm tired of making other people money. Um, I really wanna make money for myself. And it was all based around freedom because for me being an entrepreneur is being the freest person you could be, right? Mm. That's, pro that's why I live in Puerto Rico and I do different things than other people because 
I really just want to be free, man. Um, I just want to be free and happy and help people. So that led me to getting into a position where I had some clients of mine that actually came back to me and were like, hey, Curtis, I know that you're not in the space that you were before, but I have a new business opportunity that um, I would like to go through. Would you help me go through and get funding? And I was like, sure, I'll figure it out, right? And I did a miserable job. I was atrocious at it. I, I, I still to this day feel bad about how bad I messed up that person's credit initially. Luckily, I fixed it for them, put them in a much better situation, but it was a train wreck. Um, and I thought I knew a whole bunch, but I knew absolutely nothing. So that's when I really started on my journey of really educating myself of being the best and most knowledgeable person that I could be in one product base. And that product base is getting startups lines of credit at no accrued interest for an extended period of time, usually about 12 to 18 months. Because the fact of the matter is, it is hands down the best way to start a business. I mean, what's better than starting a business with unsecured capital, 0% capital, and you're not leveraging your house. You're only leveraging a credit report. So I saw the value there, and I really just started helping one client at a time. And then that led me getting better at my job and helping educate more people. And that led to us doing business together. And I was very fortunate to be able to run into guys like Grant Cardone, who believed in me um, and gave me opportunities, right? So that's kind of the natural progression of what created me, um, who I am today. It was really just, I was initially in a, a sales process that I had to get financing for clients because when you're selling very expensive things like a hundred grand program or educational item, it, you have to get people financing. And then in, at that point in the industry, there wasn't companies doing what I do. Um, I searched, nobody was there. So I felt a hole in the market and that allowed me to filling that hole. And now Lending America has been around for I think now six years and helped over 600,000 individual businesses. Mm-hmm. So um, we've been fairly fortunate. Well, man, the, there's so much in that story. I took a few notes. If you notice me looking off to the side, taking notes, it's not because I'm working on other things. I'm, I was literally taking notes because Whenever I talk to successful entrepreneurs, which I'm, I'm fortunate to get to do a lot, um, it's like one of the things I love most about my life, there, there seem to be these common threads. And they, it just never ceases to amaze me how much, you know, entrepreneur, in fact, I actually like to use the term entrepreneurialism rather than entrepreneurship. Because entrepreneurship is like a thing that you do entrepreneurialism is a way that you are, right? And, and what I find is that it's more about the way that you are than the thing that you do. Like for you, what do you, what do, you do? Uh, I'm a, you know, I'm a phone sales guy, right? On a, on a business education sales. That's, that's what you did. That's actually not entrepreneurship. But, but how are you? Oh, I'm entrepreneurial. I practice entrepreneurialism every day. So even in sales, even in phone sales, something, you know, people think of phone sales as like this mundane thing, take call after call after call, but you were entrepreneurial where you were like, well, what's, you know, how can I improve this process? How can I optimize this process? And you figured out that, hey, instead of trying to get $5,000 from 
Joe Blow today, what if I could, you know, and by the way, playing the long game, delayed gratification, you know, the marshmallow experiment, like these are all keys to success here. You're like, what if instead of getting five grand from Joe Blow today, I could build a good relationship with Joe Blow. I could, I could create some trust and I could actually help him take the next 60 days to get $25,000. Well, instead of, and then I don't need to sell five Joe Blows. I just need to help one Joe Blow get 25 grand and 60 days from now, I've got the equivalent of five, $5,000 sales. I mean, I can, I can imagine the rationale that was going on in your mind, right? But that's because you were entrepreneurial. It's because like you said, maybe you grew up in a trailer. Maybe you grew up seeing somebody, you know, look, entrepreneurs, man, we're like baseball players. Sometimes, you know, we swing and, and the really great ones, you know, we might bat 350. The mediocre ones, we might bat 250. The, the awful ones, we might only bat 200. Like it's not actually that big a difference. Nobody bats a thousand, nobody even bats 500, you know? And so whether somebody's a great entrepreneur or a so-so entrepreneur, sometimes it's just about what pitching they were, you know, what pitchers were they facing? Was it a lefty or a righty? Like there's, there's little variations, but the bottom line is you got to grow up around somebody who was entrepreneurial. So even when you got stuck on the phone selling products, you took an entrepreneurial approach and look at what, look at what that turned into. Amen. That is so much of what entrepreneurialism is about is about approaching things a different way because of a sense of the possibility that can come from it when you do. And for you, the fact that when you were on the phones, you took a little different angle is now the reason why years later, you know, six to 10 years later, however long ago that was, you've got a company that's funded billions in startup capital and you've been able to take fees on all that and you've been able to build a thriving enterprise and you're recognized as a guru in your field. Meanwhile, you're living down in Puerto Rico chilling while the rest of us are sweating. You know, sure. because, because you were entrepreneurial in a phone sales job 10 years ago. Amen. And that's, that's what I'm all about. That's what this channel and this show are all about is like, guys, you got to break out of the box. Curtis, did anybody tell you to do any of that? No, absolutely. No, in fact, they probably told you not to. They probably, I'm guessing they were like, Curtis, close the damn deal. Joe Blow's got $5,000. Get that money now. Yep, you are correct. That, that's how, I know those Utah floors back in the day. <laughs> That's how yep. it was, right? 100%. So I'm, here, I'm hearing some other things too. First of all, I heard that you said you do no marketing. You do no advertising. You, you have no, like, you're not running Facebook ads. Ever. I've never, I've never actually paid for paid advertising in the history of our business. And we do, I mean, this last year we did uh, 4.2 in revenue. So That's your um, fees I, on funding other people's loans. Yes. Yeah. And so... So, man, that's crazy. 2018, or was it 2020? Now? <laughs> was it 2018? Yeah. That's when we started working together was 2018. 2020, you run a business with no advertising no, and, and, and no web. I mean, even your website, like. It's it, bad. It's just, oh, it's just it's a brochure, terrible. right? I mean, it's it's, you, so don't have, you're not, you don't have sales funnels and all this craziness with upsells and downsells and membership sites and, you know. No. So, so, it's just, you just provide good service. Amen. Um, and you have good it, ideas and you found a good, you found a need in the market and you figured out how to fill it. Now, some other things I took away um, from that, that you said you were at your first deal, you were really bad. You really, oh, you, so you, bad. you mucked up the file, right? Amen. It was, it was so, to put it in perspective, um, 
I took a client who had a, a great credit score and I messed up the credit score and got them like $2,000. So when you're saying messed up the file, I mean, I really messed up the file. Like it was bad. It was, it was probably the ugliest loan I've ever tried to get done for someone. Uh, but luckily I, I knew how I had other resources and I, I fixed it and they got funding a few months down the road, but initially it was pretty bad. Well, so why didn't you quit? Clearly you sucked. Ah, because it's, uh, it, I, I grew up riding BMX bikes and I was fortunate enough to get paid by Hedneys to ride bikes. Um, and that was really, that was a big learning process to ever get sponsored as a professional athlete was very difficult. Um, and that was kind of the gear that trained in myself long before I ever started a business. Um, when you fall, you get back up. The, the only way I will, I fall every day in my life. Um, but instead of registering my failures, I always make sure I fall forward and I celebrate and recreate successes. I try to mitigate failures. I, I learn lessons from them like everybody else, but I don't design my life around my failures and how I learn from my failures. I actually design my life around how I learn from my wins and how I can recreate my wins, my wins. And whenever I fail, just fall forward, man. Don't ever fall backwards. Don't allow yourself to fall backwards and get back up. So... I feel like we just stumbled onto some really powerful, a really powerful element of why Curtis is Curtis. You are a, you are a professional BMX biker at, at, when was that, in your teens? Yeah, I uh, rode for about 20 years. I started when I was uh, 14 and I broke my back when I was 22 and that kind of ended my career. Um, so a good amount of years. Uh, so you broke your back. How'd you break your back? Um, well, uh, so there was a, a company that was called S&M Bikes. They're still around. They're actually one of the biggest uh, BMX companies out there. And I had gotten super lucky to get a video spot with them, which in BMX terms, that's like the holy grail. Like, it's like if you get a spot on ride or you get a video section, like you're going to get invited to the X Games. You're going to be in a position where you can actually really get paid. Um, and I traveled to California for the video session. And... We were at the University of California, and it's going to be hard to explain to people that don't understand BMX, but uh, there's a really big ledge going down about 28 or 30 stairs, and there's a big flat spot in the middle of it. And there's about a 30-foot drop on the other side that if you would have fell over there, I would have gotten messed up really much worse than breaking my back and probably would have died. But um, I tried it a bunch, kept on messing up, kept on falling down the stairs, and then on probably my... 10th or 15th try in the second set when I was going very, very fast down the stairs, I came off my bike. I flew over um, and I was about to land on my face on the stairs and everybody said I basically rolled into it, which is what you should do. But I landed in the middle of my back on the stairs and I don't remember anything after that. So, I mean, I landed in the back of my stairs. I, they said I got up, I walked a few feet and then I passed that out. Um, and then I woke up in the hospital. And then the, the doctor said, I uh, ruptured two discs in my back and I fractured like my L4 and L6 or something. I can't remember which vertebrae they were. Um, and that's predominantly ended my BMX career um, and a lot of plans that I had. But it also set me on a much better path because now I don't have to throw myself to, to get paid. I, I help other people to get paid. <laughs> it's a little better. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a powerful story. And, and again, and first of all, it sounds like you were lucky to walk again. 
Yeah, 180%. Um, I mean, the doctor said if I would have been off a little bit or if I wouldn't have, if it would have just been further than a fracture, I most likely would have not been able to walk. So, huh. not so a great experience. How did, how did that experience, other than your, your career path and, you know, what job you did, how did that experience change you? It taught me a whole bunch about really understanding what I would call risk mitigation, right? So at the understand that like, I always try to describe to people in this, right? If you're going at a ramp or you're doing something, you have to be of clear and sound mind. There, there, your, your, your mind's this beautiful mental machine and it's been proven and documented so many times and we could go into the statistics, but we're not going to do that. The fact of the matter is when you envision stuff, your, your mind creates the world around us. It really does. And I had known that session that my mind was not in the right place. Um, it was mainly because I probably should have warmed up. I mean, I was really pumped to be on a very big stage with other big names. And I was like, I'm going to blow this up. Right. Um, and I probably, if I could go back in times, maybe, I, I don't know, I would have done it a little bit differently, but it taught me about understanding the risks when you do something to the point of when we're doing loans, risk mitigation is I'm losing energy. I'm losing dollars and cents in BMX. When I'm losing, I'm losing like vital parts of me, right? I could break my arm. I could like really end my career. And it, that, that, that was the biggest lesson that I think I took from it is just understanding that when you go into something that it makes you fearful, use that fear to make a correct assessment. And I always tell people use asymmetrical risk, man. That's what a business really is. Asymmetrical risk is defined. If I have 10% upside and I have a 2% downside, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go for that every single time because if I lose 2%, yeah, 2% sucks. But if I make 10% to who cares about losing the 2%, right? that's kind of what it taught me is helped me a lot in loans in my future, but I would have never known that when I was growing up. Hmm. I, uh, I, I think that's an amazing story, man. I love the way you, you were able to take that experience and turn it into, uh, you know, really turn it into power. It sounds like personal and, and professional power. Um, and, and I, I was obviously joking when I asked the question about why, why did you keep going when obviously you sucked, but it's yeah. like, <laughs> You know, I'm speaking to everyone out there who so often they're like, oh, I blew it. I suck at this, you know, and, and you know, what you, you've learned to fail forward. I, you know, you were learning that from the age of 14 with BMX, dude. I mean, how many times did you fall on average? And, and it's not like on a BMX bike. It's not like tripping while you're walking, dude, like, a, like falling. I, I'm not good at like rolling sports. I don't have great yeah. balance. But the few times I've tried it, I remember falling off a skateboard. It freaking hurts. Like Bad. things yeah. break. And how many, how many of those things did you have to go through just to master one trick, would you say? Um, countless. I mean, a, a trick that's called a tail whips. It's where you spin your bike around right. in a circle. And a very, very complicated trick. Just that trick alone, I spent five years of catching one pedal before I ever landed it. And that was catching one pedal. Yeah, and, when you, and here's the thing, when you fall, when you land on a BMX bike and you don't have both your feet on the pedals, 
it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but the bar goes up your, between your legs, right? Yes, exactly. So you're, you, you, are, you are learning in the most painful possible way <laughs> over and over. I'm like cringing as we're talking about it, right? Yeah, so, every day. <laughs> so, you, so you trained yourself, and, and it's funny because I was a jazz musician. And I always say that my entrepreneurial education was really as a jazz musician, because with a jazz musician, you hit a wrong note. And depending on where you go from there, you can actually turn it into something really cool. But if you hit a wrong note and you're just like, oh shit, I screwed up, I, I suck, I hit a wrong note, then everybody just looks at you and you never get called back to the gig. But if you hit a wrong note and you follow it up in a cool way, people be like, oh man, that guy's so creative, you know? That was so interesting. And I feel like there's a lot of us that have these these experiences that we convert into entrepreneurial energy that allow us to exist outside the box where like we do something wrong because entrepreneurs do wrong stuff all the time. That's like part of it. And, and we don't get into our own heads with judgment and we don't buy into the judgment and criticism of others. That's to me, that's like the number one entrepreneurial skill, but it's got to come from somewhere. And frankly, it's a big so part of why I do this series of interviews on my show is because I want people to hear from, from people that, that learned that. Because most people, I think, have a lot of negative shit in their life that's trying to tell them either that they're going to fail or that they shouldn't take risks so that they don't fail. And I think people need to hear from guys like you that whack themselves in the nuts 800 times with a metal bar. <laughs> like, no, failure is part of it. So... Exactly. <laughs> anyways, anyways, dude, thank you for sharing. I feel, I feel like I know you so much better too, man. So that, that's, that's tremendous. Um, obviously, I, I feel like we could talk, we could like, like swap war stories probably for hours. Um, but I'm, I do want to make sure that we address kind of the, the, you know, proposed value of this conversation, which I'm, I can tell you, I'm going to go put it on YouTube and uh, it's going to say basically like learn how to build credit and learn how to maintain credit and learn how to access other people's money. And so let's, let's get into those trenches if we could. Um, and cause that's what I think a lot of people are going to come here for and say, okay, so let's say either I have bad credit or I have no little to no credit. Like I'm young and I'm just starting out. Um, it, it, is there a formula? Is there like a process that you can explain to us? That's like, okay, whether you're starting from bad or you're starting from not from nothing and maybe it's two different processes i assume they would dovetail at some point here's how you build and then maintain good credit so that ultimately you can get access to leverage and other people's money perfect so let's kind of the first thing i'd like to help educate people on is let's understand what makes up a fico score so first off to start on a baseline there's two different major scoring models that exist today, and those are FICO and Vantage. I'm not going to get into why those were created. All you need to know is the banks use FICO primarily. So that's what we're going to be mainly focusing on so we don't go off in tangents. Now, FICO, um, and this, please understand, when you pull your credit from a mortgage, a car, uh, a business loan, there's different algorithms that create your score. But when we are looking at it from a business to consumer type of relationship, your FICO score goes from 300 to 850. Okay, those, those are the numbers, right? Um, now, starting off at a baseline of zero does not mean you have bad credit. It just means you don't have credit history. So what most people try to do is this, when we're starting from bad, no credit history, 
they go out there and they get established with what they call trade lines and they get authorized users from other people's credit cards. So to explain what that would be, let's say that because me and Jeff are good friends, um, I'm like, Hey Jeff, I know you have great credit and really high limits on your credit cards. So I was wondering if you could place me as an authorized user on one of your cards. And since you're my buddy, you say, sure, Curtis, I will. What happens is I get a copy of your card with my name on it essentially. And now that will go onto my credit report. Now back in pre 2008, this was an effective strategy. It's no longer an effective strategy. Um, because now what happens is please understand banks are, smart people like they 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 know risk mitigation to extremely well well defined points so they will see that my credit was actually developed off of just credit because i'm an authorized user and what will happen is i essentially trick the fico algorithm to show this beautiful credit score but when i go to lending it doesn't help too much so mm -hmm. when we're starting from ground zero we need to focus on establishing primary accounts meaning I own the accounts. So we want to start from ground zero, zero of getting a term loan and then getting a revolving line of credit. Okay. Cause we need to have a mixture and we need to balance out our scores. Okay. So to discuss the cheapest options for primaries that exist today, let's kind of get into some of those options. So first off, if you need a car, I would highly suggest a Kia because at the end of the day, it's $99 and a job and you can get a car and it's a killer primary will help you build great credit. Um, you if you don't, buy, you said buy a Kia. Yeah. Okay. Um, 100%, right? If you need a car, yeah. then it will help you build your credit. Now, if you don't need a car, let's look at the other options. Um, in term loans, what I would suggest, and this is very important for anybody to listen to this because this has taken me years of my life to learn. Um, you, there's a company called self lender, and there's a company called the Credit Strong. Um, Credit Strong's ran through Austin Capital Bank and Self Lender, I think, is their own actual ent entity, their own bank. And what these programs are actually designed for, they work as a secured account, but they work for term loans. So to define what a secured account is, guys, no one knows what this means. It means where I place my money on hold with a financial institution and they give me a line of credit or a loan based on how much I have on hold with them and they charge me interest. And the point of this is so the bank does not have as much, much risk because they're holding my principal in their institution and they get to keep it if I ever default, but it also gives me a great opportunity to build credit. So I would suggest getting established with either self lender or credit strong if I was starting from ground zero. And then the second thing that I would suggest is getting a K Jewelers card. Um, the reason why I suggest K Jewelers is because at the end of the day, please understand, I could go off on tangents of how that's good and bad, but when you're starting from ground zero, it's gonna be the only line of credit that you're gonna get instantly approved for, for a $5,000 limit. You're only gonna be able to use it in K Jewelers and it's gonna cost you with your fees and stuff about 160 bucks. So. It's a very good line of credit to have. I would highly suggest if you're starting from ground zero, get that open along with a term loan. And then what I would do is this is where I would save some of my money and I would go down to, if I'm in an area with a TD bank, I would go down to a TD bank and I would get established with their secured card. And this is extremely important. Um, I cannot stress this enough. When you go get a secured card, 
do not get a secured card for a few hundred dollars. Get a secured card for a minimum, and I mean bare bones minimum, a thousand or more. The reason why this is so important for everybody that's listening is because we want to build positive health. We don't want to build negative health. If we build our credit profile off of Olo cards and Credit One cards and First Premier cards, what we're actually doing is we're building off banks to show a path that we had bad credit once. I want to show you guys when you're starting from ground zero to show that I've had a good and predominant credit profile from the beginning. So we want to get that card established and open with a minimum of $1,000. They'll go up to $5,000. I would highly suggest, guys, if you have the capital, put the five grand in there. And you don't even have to use the card, man. Just use it there. Close, like, just don't touch it. Because that, what that now does is it's building recurring history, showing that you have a line of credit open that is established for $1,000 or $5,000, okay? Curtis, can you tell me again the names of the cards or the describe the types of, I'm by the way, this is like such good stuff. And to, to somebody who relies on people's ability to, to fund their education so that they can, in many cases, buy products from me, I'm like, holy crap, thank God for people like Curtis who figure this stuff out because it's such a, you know, a labyrinth out there to try to make sense of this. Uh, but I'm literally taking notes here that I'm going to put in the description uh, below the show uh, and below the YouTube video. So tell me again, what are the kinds of cards that people should not get because it looks like you had bad credit? What, what were those again? So anything of reestablishment cards, like the Olo card, the um, like Credit One Bank cards or First Premier cards. You said these are Olo? Olo, O-L-L-O. -O. It's a new card that was released the beginning of 2018 and its purpose is to help people rebuild credit. Okay, so there's Olo, there's, what were the other ones? Uh, credit One Bank. Okay. Okay. Um, avoid those cards. And those are called uh, reestablishment uh, like cards. Like the plague. Um, and exactly. Okay. And then first premier bank, those banks, those banks are designed to help people in bad situations, fix their situations, which I'm going to cover what you do in a bad situation here in a moment. But when we're starting from ground zero, we want to establish positive history. And if we, by establishing, Establishing that positive history, it's a lot more funding opportunities throughout the development of our profile. Does that make sense? Yeah, very much. So, so avoid Olo's, First Premier's, Credit One's, any type of credit reestablishment type of stuff you want to avoid, um, as well as it is so important that you get these accounts open early and you have them report for a good amount of time because credit is not built in a day, guys. It is built in a, a realistically a lifetime. It's an ever flowing thing that changes, right? And you should be monitoring your credit and then you should be adjusting it to make sure that you're putting it in the right situations. Now, while you're monitoring this stuff, what's very important I do not want people to go out there and max out their, their secured card and show that they're carrying a balance of 
$5,000. The reason being is because that's going to cause a whole other mess of debt utilization, and it's going to show that you have too, you're using too much of your capital. What you should be doing is use a card the way it was designed to be used, and that is to buy you a 30-day window to pay off your bills. So pay it off in a 30-day time frame. Therefore, when it reports to the bureaus, this happened, this is called a cycle close period, happens to three to five days after the due date of respective card, okay? It also happens with term loans and everything else, but that doesn't pertain so much with debt utilization. And it's very important that we are posting balances of low percentages. I mean, in a perfect world, we would actually want our credit cards to never show up with a balance of higher than 7%. And everybody's like, well, all these gurus tell me 30%. These other guys tell me 50%. And this is directly from the CEO of FICO and many banking establishments that I've met with personally and had non-disclosure agreements just to discuss um, details about algorithms and how funding is, is secured through banks. So if you're doing funding, you actually want to track no more than 7%. If you want to get the biggest boost out of your credit score, you never want to go over 30% on a card. Because what you'll see after 7%, you get your first initial knock on your credit score from debt utilization. After 30%, you get a bigger degree. After 50%, you get, and then after 75 and over 100, because you can actually have accounts that uh, you have fees and stuff that bill you over the limit, and that pulls down your credit score by tremendous amounts, guys. I, I've seen clients that had immaculate credit, but they had a, an account closure, so their credit utilization was actually 400%, because right. when a credit card closes and you have balance on it, it eliminates the borrowing power that you have, right? So it messes up that algorithm, and their credit score reflects like a 602. When all they really need to do is just pay off that debt, get a new line of credit established, and their credit score will go right back to where it should be. Um, those are important things to track once we've got this baseline set up, right? Because we get those, so we've got our credit strong open um, through Austin Capital Bank. We've got our secured card and we've got our K Jewelers card. That's all I want you to get because you don't want to get too much established when you're beginning. And then you just want to hang out. You just twiddle your thumbs and make sure that you are not ever missing a payment and make sure that you're not ever posting massive debts on these cards. And then after about six to eight months, some cool things will start to happen. The first thing that will start to happen, as long as you use the TD bank card for your secured card, they'll actually release that into an unsecured credit card. So they'll $5,000 back or your $1,000, and you'll now have an unsecured account with them, which will build you a ton of relationship with that bank, and it will develop other relationships with other banks. Now, if you don't live in an area with a TD bank, guys, because TD bank's not the largest bank in the world, there's an open sky card. Um, it's through Capital One Bank. This is not to be confused with Capital One. Capital One Bank is a different institution, um, and it's called the open sky. That would be the second secured card that I would, I would suggest. You could get that online if you do not live in an area where there's a TD bank. 
And the reason why I suggest those two secured cards is because they will typically release funds after seven to eight months, which is important, okay? Now, for those guys who just really don't have much money and they, they're living paycheck to paycheck like most of everybody and they're like, Curtis, I can't save up $1,000. Well, first off, I'm gonna tell you, if you can't save up $1,000, you should probably investigate other areas of your life before you really establish credit if you can't come up with a thousand bucks. But what you can do is you can actually set up a secured card for a few hundred bucks and then it gets you reporting history, right? Now, when we get to month three or four, what we need to do is we need to save up a little bit more money and we need to go back to TD Bank and say, hey, I was wondering if I could actually deposit a little bit more money with you so I could get a higher credit limit because I don't know, I'm taking a trip to Hawaii or whatever my reason may be, right? And what that will do is now you're at least, if you have a, an account that is posting at $200 and it's posting for let's say five months, then on month six, we get that limit increase to what, let's say a thousand or $2,000. Well, now we still have all that history that we've tracked for the $200 card, but now it's actually gonna show that it's a $2,000 card. And that's really important when we get to applying for good lines of credit and good credit cards, like the Sapphire Reserve card and a lot of these other desirable cards that are gonna give us the biggest benefit, the biggest bang for our buck, essentially. So those are kind of, when I start from ground zero, that's my major focaling point, is just getting positive history on that report avoiding authorized user stuff and really just developing it from there. Now, when we're talking about the bad credit side of stuff, let's discuss this. So, okay, there's a number of different things that can affect your credit profile. Obviously, bankruptcies and judgments are all part of what you would consider public domain and uh, public information, and they will show up on a section of your credit report that says public records, okay? If you have a bankruptcy, um, there, you can actually, there are companies that can remove them, but they're very difficult and um, it's not a for sure process. So if you have a bankruptcy, you typically need to reestablish credit immediately after the bankruptcy by following the things I just told you what to do. And that will help you to redevelop a credit score. Now, if you ever have any tax liens um, or judgments, the beautiful thing about most of your public records, if you actually pay your tax liens off, the institution that placed them on them in most states will actually remove the tax liens for you. So it will come off your credit report. You won't have to go through credit repair. Just for your own education knowledge base, tax liens, if you have them, just pay them off and request for them to be removed and they'll generally come off in 30 days or less once they're paid off. Now, let's discuss collections and what those are. So a collection occurs when we have a debt with a institution, whether that be, it could be anybody. You could have a debt with me or you, and as long as we're a data furnisher, we can report that to the consumer credit bureaus and it could be a collection, okay? Now, a collection is typically a debt that's actually been sold. So when we have a collection that shows up on our credit profile, typically speaking, we have the account holder that actually sold the debt off to a new company. And this is something very important to realize because According to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which protects you and I as consumers, in order for a debt to be owed, we actually have to have physically signed a piece of paper with that company. So a collection company that purchased a debt 
we never signed a documentation, a piece of paper with them. So this is very important to know. So you can actually dispute that for basis of it not being correct. And there's many um, credit repair companies that are phenomenal at getting collections off because they're very easy items to typically get removed. I will be one of the few people to tell you, do not pay collections. The reason being is this whole concept of pay for delete doesn't exist, guys. You're not going to call up a creditor and pay them off and they're going to do you a gracious thing of removing it for your credit account. If anyone ever says that they're going to do that, get it in writing so then it, when it doesn't come off your credit report, you can sue them and at least make some money off of it because they provided it to you in writing. Um, but nobody that I know of um, has had much success at all of getting a pay for delete. So when we have a collection, understand that I'm not telling people to default on loans here, guys. I'm not, I'm, you should pay your freaking bills. But when you have a collection that's been sold to another financial institution, you should understand your rights and you should dispute it before you pay it. Now, if it keeps continuing to pop on your credit report because they can change identifiers and can list over and over again, then you would need to settle it and then get it removed, typically speaking. But I would always suggest first, do not pay collections, always work on disputions first. Then if you cannot get them removed in any other way, settle the debt with the collection company and then go through a round of disputions, okay? So that's gonna cover your, your main collections. These are typically when we have a debt that's sold off to another financial institution. Now, let's talk about charge-offs and defaults. So a charge-off is essentially when a financial institution typically goes past 120 days of debt being owed. They will harass you and try to get you to pay your bill and all that fun stuff, but they say, hey, after 120 days, I am claiming this debt is a loss. So when you see a charge off on a credit profile, this is the bank saying, I am charging this off, I'm releasing my hands of it, and I'm going to claim taxes on it, and I'm going to either try to sell it off or try to accrue a settlement with the customer to accrue some of my capital back, okay? Couple things to know here. If you're in a situation um, where you're trying to work with debt settlement companies, actually, please understand you can negotiate with the credit card companies much better than most debt consolidation companies can. So I suggest trying to avoid that situation because all they're going to do is teach you how to go cards to go into default. Once those cards go into default, you can call up the banks and then lower things. You can settle with them for 50 cents on the dollar typically. So couple things to understand here. If we default on large debts with certain banks, like uh, if we default on a loan for $30,000 through JP Morgan Chase or uh, American Express, which is ran by Merrill Lynch, I believe, um, those, the, when we have those bigger defaults, you are probably going to get sued. Um, and they're going to then place a judgment on your credit profile and you're going to have to pay, okay? Just to let you know. Now, a lot of these smaller charge-offs and defaults, what I typically would suggest for a client to do is after that process has gone through charge-off, I would actually suggest, again, if you have a good credit repair company, if you don't call us, we can recommend somebody. Um, dispute first. If disputes are not working correctly, settle the debt. I would never suggest settling over 50%. Um, so if you owe a uh, thousand bucks, don't settle for more than 500. Okay. 
um, they'll take 50 cents on the dollar every time. Um, and once the debt is then settled, then go through a proper round of disputions to get the item removed and replaced off your credit. Okay. And let's talk about a couple misconceptions. Okay. If you default on a student loan, it does not mean you're doomed forever and it will never come off your credit report. Look, if a student loan is defaulted, you are probably going to have to settle with it at some point because most likely for the amount that you would owe, they may sue you and get a judgment. This is all on tolerances, right? But if I have a small loan for a few thousand dollars, the likeliness of me getting sued is fairly slim. The bank's just gonna write it off. So again, settle and then dispute, right? Or dispute first. And typically with student loans, just to let you guys know, disputing first is gonna have very limited results unless you're working with a very, very highly educated specialist that knows really what they're doing. Um, that's why I would typically say settle with those ones first and then dispute. Because once you have a settlement acquired, the bank has no more vested interest to continue to keep a charge off on your credit report. Right. They're not bullies and they really don't want to just beat you up and hurt you. They just want to get paid, man. They gave you money. They deserve to get paid. They're lenders. They, they have, they, they have loan, they have debts just like anybody else. Right? right. So settle with them. And then once it's settled, dispute with a proper credit repair company. And typically you'll get those things off because the lender at that point has no longer vested interest to keep it on your credit report profile. So that's going to cover kind of most of your main problems of what clients have with credit reports. Um, so when you're, you're working with those damaged items, we want to first off start by cleaning up credit um, if we have any positive history. So meaning, if we have one positive credit card that we have uh, opened for years, keep that credit card positive and then clean up the rest of the items so then when it's cleaned up, you have good credit, okay? Don't default on everything because then if you default on everything, well now you clean up your credit, you basically have to start from ground zero all over again, okay? So if we're in those dire situations where there's nothing positive on the credit report, what we need to do is we need to establish those same accounts that I told you. They'll help you get established if you have a 400 or a 750. It doesn't matter, okay? They'll help you establish a baseline. And then once you have a few months of reporting history, about six months, then go through distributions and get the negative items cleaned off. Because it's kind of pointless to go through credit repair if you're going to scrape off all the poop only to end up with a clean slate of no reporting credit. Right. So those are just important things to understand. Um, and there's different companies that specialize in different things. So please, when you're doing research on credit repair companies, please do good research. Lexington Law Firm is not a law firm, okay? And they're not good at credit repair either. So maybe not those guys. They're good at ads, but they're not great at credit repair. You really want to find somebody that's an expert at what they do and is gonna charge you a fair and equitable price. Because this is the credit repair game. The credit repair game is this. I charge you $100 per month and I dispute one item for you and then I get your credit repaired in a year and a half. Right. That's the real thing. You should dispute all the items for the client at one time, charge them a fair and equitable price and get them out the freaking door so they can move on with their lives, right? So. Do research about credit repair companies. 
Um, it's a great service and a great product, but it's muddled full of a whole bunch of people that are not good at what they do because there's low barriers of entry to get into that business. So, and if you guys need resources for that, please, that's what we're here for. Our company would love to point you in the right direction for credit repair companies that would suit your needs. So, first of all, wow. <laughs> I, I, with, with permission, I want you to know I took detailed notes and I will be soon converting that all into a very pretty ebook and I will be publishing it, The Ultimate Guide to Establishing Credit and Dealing with Bad Credit by super genius Jeff Lerner. And I'm gonna take total credit for everything you just shared because it was so freaking amazing and I could probably go build a million dollar business just on the base of how good that information was. And I'm totally kidding, I'm not gonna do that. But I'm saying it because I want everyone who listened to that to understand. How long did it take you to, to know all that? You can't, I couldn't even put it in described hours, like tens I mean, of 10 years, five years, yeah. I mean, we're talking years, we're talking thousands of hours. Yeah. I, because here's the thing, it's easy to tell somebody what to do, but in order to figure out what to do when there's no previous knowledge base on what to do, you have to figure it out by doing it all the wrong ways first. Yep. I, I am honestly, at a personal level, like, you know, as a value creator and a marketer and somebody who puts out content, I am like flabbergasted that you just gave that much in an open free forum. Like that speaks to who you are, man. Not just what you know, but who you are, dude. Like that is, that is an insane depth of valuable wisdom. Like you just changed people. If people just watch this damn video, like if, by the way, if you're out there watching this video or maybe you're listening to it, if it's the podcast track, like please share this with people. The information Curtis just shared will literally change lives. This isn't me just, you know, trolling for a like or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever. Like that was life-changing information for people. So please do share this video. Um, and and I, am, I did summarize all that. I am going to put it in the notes. But dude, that was insane. So, I mean, because I know, you know, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 16 years old. I'm 41. So, 25 years and I remember when I was a teenager and I, I, I bought my first real estate investment property in my early 20s and I was like, you know, I, I, you get a pretty rude awakening that like, hey, credit's where it's at, dude. Like if you want to be able to buy properties, like you got to manage your credit. Even back then when the world was kind of insane, you know, you, you at least had to say what your credit was, even if they didn't verify it, you at least had to like say it. You know, they did like no doc, no verification loans for a while there, but like you still had to like, know about credit right and actually credit was the one thing you couldn't lie about you could lie about income you could lie about employment but you couldn't lie about credit um they still pulled your report so i mean dude this is this is like world changing information for anybody that ever wants to start a business or do investing or just basically build a life that isn't a hundred percent dependent upon trading your time away for an employer's you know hourly pittance um Okay, so I want to ask about so one of the last things you said, uh, the researching, doing good research on credit repair companies, because obviously that's a huge industry. Um, I'm not going to ask you to, re- to recommend credit repair companies. I, I actually would much rather people be contacting you. Um, and if you, know, if you figure out that's a, a good need for them or 
Um, maybe they're looking for money and you can help them and they can become part of your, your process. That I, I would like to send them to you for that. But you did say that if somebody is trying to go out there and do it on their own, I, I, this is how I wrote it down, is that the number one thing they need to watch out for is a slow pace of disputes in it with a high monthly fee. Because what you're basically saying is that the, the credit repair companies will try to string you along. And, and I actually remember, I've paid for credit repair multiple times because I had a disaster back in 2008. I, lost, I, I was half a million dollars in debt and all hell broke loose. Um, and I remember there were like companies where it's like, well, for $49 a month, we'll do one dispute per month. And for 99, we'll do two. And for 199, we'll do, or 149, we'll do four. And that's the accelerated program. And you're I'm yep. sitting there, now that I know what I know, I'm sitting there going, they could have just done, they could have done 15 at a time. And, it, and for them, it doesn't take that much more time. They're literally just like printing out multiple form letters, letters and changing the name. Yeah. Exactly. So that's, that's the number one thing you're saying to watch out for, right? Yep. And I would start with when I'm reviewing someone, I would start by looking at true reviews, like actual real reviews, like um, of clients that are showing you what they've done and, and how great the company is. Um, uh, and you, you and I both know as, as business owners, there's sites out there that we could build and we could dump all these great reviews. I'm just saying like, you can tell generally when it's a, a faker review or you can tell when it's a re real review. Do your research on reviews and when you talk to a sales agents, ask them these questions. Ask them, hey, are you guys, how long does it averagely take you to get all the negative items removed from a credit report? Because they can tell you averages of, hey, this is what average a client sees. They can't guarantee any of that stuff is going to, to occur. And if they do, run for the hills because they've just commit, committed um, what is against the Fair Credit Reporting Act and against selling of credit repair. You actually have to perform a service of credit repair before you charge somebody for everybody's information. And you cannot provide any guarantees or warranties of service um, if you do. Those cause uh, those can cause issues and complaints, and not a, not a good thing. So if anyone's guaranteeing you, like I guarantee you, I'm going to get this off in a certain period of time. I would suggest not working with them. Now, if they have a warranty of service that says, "Hey, we'll give you your money back if we don't get a point of increase of so much in like 90 days," well, no, that's actually a good thing. Um, if they have a warranty of service like that, that where they're saying, "Hey, if I don't get 50." points of increased value on your credit report, then I'll give you your money back. Um, and just ask important questions. How many items are you disputing per month? Um, what is it on my credit that really needs to be cleaned up? And what I would highly suggest that you guys do is you start from understanding what is it that I want to accomplish? If I'm fixing my credit to get a house, Talk to whoever I know, like, and trust who is a good mortgage broker, right? And use who they refer over to do credit because they work with guys to fix credit for those specific needs all the time, right? Now, if you're looking for a personal loan or a business loan or a car, then work with people that specialize in those areas, right? If you're looking for a loan to, to get a business off the ground, well, call us. We'll give you great information. I'm not going to go through and be like, hey, you have to work with us for credit repair. I'm going to say, here's who we work with. Here's the cost. And here's who I recommend because we've tested so many of the darn people, right? Um, so that's what I mean by doing our research. Just 
understand where we want to start. If our goal is we want to buy a house, work with a professional mortgage person, right? That refers us to a good company. Or if we're starting, we want to get a loan, go to a person that's going to help you get a loan and ask them, hey, who do you recommend for credit repair? Who send you clients back that you've actually been able to get loans for, right? Those are kind of the things that you need to ask and just understand. So I put that they should talk to someone in a relevant industry to get a relevant referral based on what they're trying to accomplish, whether it's home, whether it's auto, whether it's business, et cetera, uh, or education even. You know, if somebody was like, hey, I want to buy an online education program, yes. who should I talk to? And they came to, they should come to me. And I'd be like, well, I sell online education, so I'll tell you who helps us. And I, I would send them to you, right? Um, so exactly right. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay. I mean, or it's not crazy. It's genius. It's, it's just, it's common sense, obvious genius, basically. <laughs> like it makes sense, but people, like you say, they just go online and they don't, they don't niche into what it is they're actually trying to accomplish. So dude, I mean, mind, my mind is blown. Uh, I don't want to just keep repeating myself, but like, I don't know what else to say. I just think that was just so epic. Um, I, I'm going to, like I said, I took notes. I'm going to put it all under the video. So like what I recommend somebody do is watch this whole video so that I'm, and if they're hearing me recommend this, they clearly are doing this. <laughs> but so you hear Curtis explain it all, but then I'm, you've also got a cheat sheet that I, I took notes on. Um, so, okay. Let's say somebody does all that and, and, you know, to hear all that the way you laid it out. I mean, that's not like an overnight thing. It could be, depending on where people are at, it could be, sounds like probably 12 months, even if you're starting with, with like, say, no, no, no remedial effort required. You're not having to fix bad stuff. If it's six to eight months before your secured card converts to unsecured and then you got to keep building, we're probably talking at least 12 months to just establish good credit. And then obviously longer if you first have to deal with negative items, right? So that could be a couple years worth of work, yeah. what you just laid out. Let's say somebody either does all that or maybe fortunately they're already starting with good credit. Now, and then now what? I mean, let's say they have, obviously at some point you've done the work. Now you want to actually convert it into leverage. Maybe you want to buy an investment property. Maybe you want to buy, you know, a coaching program. Maybe you want to buy, obviously if somebody's going to like university, they're dealing with FAFSA and, you know, specific okay. student debt lenders, but if somebody wants to get leverage, okay, now what do they need to do? Is there a separate, is there a right way to go out and actually borrow money? Uh, 180%. So just to clarify, if, and, and back to your point of, if anybody wants to create an ebook, please do. Take that information, rip it off. I don't care. Send me leads out of it so then I can help you convert and I'll pay you a referral. Like, I like sharing free form information. Um, so, now let's get into the fun stuff. Um, this is where we can actually do something, right? So first I would like to help people understand, let's start with our credit cards. Because at the end of the day, this is typically what people do. When we get approved for a credit card, we use the credit card, we, we try to pay it off to the best of our ability, um, and we don't really do much of anything else. So. You should not be doing that. You should actually use your credit card accurately and correctly, pay it off completely every month, not have a balance showing over 7% like I discussed earlier. And every six months, you need to be doing two things. You need to be saying, hey, discover, 
as you can see, I've been a great member of yours for six months now, and I was looking at my rates and my limits, and you know what? That 18% interest rate that you're giving me right now, I was wondering if you could knock off a few points for me, because as you can see, I've never missed a payment with you. And I was also planning on play, taking a trip, um, and my limit of only $1,000 isn't gonna help me afford my plane tickets. Could you maybe bump that limit up a little bit for me? And you need to be requesting this every six months. And yes. what you'll find is you'll increase on cards and you'll decrease interest rates, okay? Which is very, very important. Um, and how we should be building our credit is we should actually be focusing on our cards, okay? Because they're the easiest way to establish killer credit because companies like, here's the great example. Um, we're, I'm going to use an example from my own life. So my great and wonderful significant other, her name is Courtney. Um, she, I helped her establish and develop stronger credit history because she's 27 now. Um, so when she first got established with a Discover card, I had her place me as an authorized user on and the reason why I did this is so that way I can use the card and I can push expenses through it. Now, what happened is she got approved for about $1,500 when she started. And in the course of four and a half months, I increased the limit on that card without ever asking for a limit increase to $13,500. And the reason that I did that is because that promotes major credit health. If we're cycling high amounts of capital through a credit card, it will encourage that bank to increase our limit and want to trust us more, right? So we start with one account at a time. And our whole goal is to punch the roof out of that sucker, right? Spend money on only that card and pay it off. Spend money on only that card and pay it off. If you're in a business, guys, literally use the card and pay it off multiple times per month because what will happen is you'll see the limit increase grow really quickly. And this is advice that no one is given. I don't know why no one tells you to do this, but you should be doing this every time. I call it beating the tops out of limits on credit cards. You, I don't know if that's a good term. I probably couldn't sell it that way, but <laughs> at the end of the day, you need to be focusing on increasing those, those credit limits at one card at a time. And our whole goal is we wanna start with a base of good banks. When I say good banks, guys, I mean American Express, Chase, US Bank, um, Discover is a great card. Uh, their business cards aren't the best. Uh, Capital One, like these are good accounts. And we wanna build a great history so we can get an Amex Platinum card and we can eventually get a black card. I, and I, we can- Can I show you this? Cause I feel like you're gonna be really proud of me, Curtis. So I got this email this morning because I've been doing exactly what you described with our Amex Platinum card for my business. And, and it's, Amex is pretty cool because they, they let you do this. Once you establish a history of using your card a lot, because what we do is we use it, we pay it off. We use it, pay it off multiple times a month. Like you said, eventually they just stop making you pay it off and they let you run and so I got this email. Let me make sure there's nothing here that I'm going to regret showing. I think I'm good. So I got this email that says, your, your balance is over your card's limit. And it says, my limit, uh, my limit is 27,000 there. My balance 
is $64,608. So they actually let me go 30, yeah, over limit amount, $37,608 that they let me, like you talk about punching the roof out. They let me blow the roof off this month because I've been using it so much. And, and I suspect what's going to come in the next month or two is they're going to just go ahead and reset the limit. Yep. Right. What I would suggest my point, I'm you, just showing people this really works. Like Amex literally is letting me spend way over my limit right now because I've been doing what you just said. Exactly. And you should actually call them Jeff, just to let you know and say, Hey guys, as you can see, my expense history through my business is much higher than the limit on this card. Mm -hmm. Could we get that limit up to a desired amount of $100,000? Now, if you're talking about a platinum account, a lot of cases, please understand, they actually don't have recorded limits because you, you, are, you have to pay them off at an allotted period of time. Um, but if it's, if it's like the Amex blue card that actually does have a limit, um, you definitely want to make sure I would call them and be like, hey, guys, I appreciate you allowing me to go over my limit. Is there any way that you, you, you let's just give me $100,000 because right. as you can see, my average expense per month is 80, right? Um, and that's something, this is very, very important to be aware of because if we start with that base on our personal credit and we have the good cards, like we get our Chase Sapphire and we get our Amex Platinum and we develop this really good history, we're going to have four or five cards that have 30,000 limits on our personal credit report. And then if we ever want to get a business card, it's a joke. We go right back to Amex and we go, hey, I start a new business Amex. As you can see, I have killer personal credit history with you. But because this business is new, would you, would you guys help me out a little bit? And so many times they'll give you a $40,000 of no interest. And it's all because it was planned correctly and accurately, right? And this is so much of what I do in my business. I'm really not like this guru or this magician, right? I'm just a guy that knows the standards, studies really hard, and then puts people in the right place to target the right banks, right? It's not, it's not magic, it's not craziness, it's, it's education and knowing banks. And that is why our average file gets 80 or $100,000 at no accrued interest for almost two years yeah. because we know how to target the banks, right? So that's number one. The very first thing that you should be focusing on is decreasing um, interest rates, increasing limits, okay? Now, if you're in a position where you just can't spend that much money, um, there are some techniques that you could use called manufactured spending, but I'm not gonna get into that because there's, uh, that's where you're essentially using money off the card and then giving it back to them. And there's good resources out there, but a lot of them are quite uh, gray line. Um, there's ways to do that properly. There's ways to do it improperly. That's why I don't really want to discuss it that much with people because people will get too much in this concept of, I want to just create money and create this own little business of extracting points out of it. That's not of good value. I believe that you should just place your expenses on one card, bolster that limit as high as you can get it to go and then move on to the next and then increase that whole platform. And then now we stick with our base and all we use our base for, we keep it there. And then when we get lines of credit established, I always tell people get new cards under an LLC at that point. Because now when we get an LLC set up and we get our limit 
if we have $40,000 out, like you have $68,000 out on your American Express. If that was under your personal name, that would wreak havoc on your right. It would be insane, right? But because it's underneath your business name, it's reporting to a different platform Does that doesn't hold us in penalty to debt utilization. So yeah. this is where, when I'm saying it gets fun, guys, we need to be following those rules. And the two biggest things is increasing limits and keeping our balances down. So let's now talk about how we keep those balances down. And this is something that I do in my own life all the time. So you can set your credit card due dates yourself. You can call and request that at any given point from any bank, okay? So when I'm managing a number of different credit card accounts, I call and I get all my due dates set up at the same time. The reason being is because I'm organized, okay? Now when I have them set up at all at the same time, I set that date and what I do with every single one of my cards is two days before the bill is due, I do not use it for any purpose. The reason why this is so important is because if we place a debt in that two-day period before our due date, often cases will not process in time for me to be allowed to pay it off. So now what happens is we have this weird window of if we made a purchase to go to Hawaii for $5,000 and I call up Discover and try to pay it off, Discover goes, I'm sorry, it hasn't posted yet. So you go, okay, no worries. And then it posts and it posts on that cycle period because like I said, your cycle close date is typically three to five days after your due date or a specific time for month. And if you ever want to find this information, call your bank and ask them. Say, hey, I was wondering when my cycle close period or cycle end date is, okay? And what this now does is it makes sure that when we're paying off our cards, they're going down to zero. We're not paying them off and having pending transactions that hit our account and then mess up our debt utilization, okay? And, and you said not to use the cards within how many days of your cycle close date? Two? Two days. So when your due date is on the 11th, that's when they close their cycle typically, and then they'll report three to five days after that date to the desired credit bureaus. And credit cards only to report one time per month, and this is such a big problem when we're talking about loans, guys, because understand, one of the biggest problems all of my clients have is debt utilization. So that's why I developed a product called Bridge Loans, where we pay down people's debt and we update their credit report to get them loans. It's awesome. But if the clients would have been educated on this stuff in the first place, they would have never been in that position and they wouldn't have to take a loan from me that frankly is expensive because I have a lot of risk in order to get them in a better position right? So that is our first goal is increasing those limits and making sure that our credit cards are posting with no balances. Now, the second thing, it is vitally important that you make sure you never miss a payment. You always, 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 always have a minimum payment amount automatically drafted from your account. The reason why this is so important is because please understand a minimum payment due on a credit card is often so little. And when we're doing stuff, when we're running businesses, we're going, we're strapped to this rocket and we're going 200 miles an hour and we're worried about 200 different things. We're not worried about paying our credit card on time. I know this because one thing that I'm a mess at guys 
is paying small bills when they're supposed to be due. Because at the end of the day, I don't care. Like I've had guys, I've ran, I've had literally 600 K in my bank account and I had the gas shut off at my house before. And the reason being is because I wasn't, I broke my own rule, right? I didn't have it set up on automatic payment. Hmm. So learn from my lessons because it will help you tremendously. As long as you have that locked in and you know, hey, the 11th of every month, I'm going to have all my minimum payments come out if I don't pay off my cards in full, okay? This is so important. And when we're talking about let's getting out of debt, because this is something of huge importance, people do a great job of developing credit, then they over leverage, and then they find themselves in this terrible situation where they're trying to massive amounts of debt. So I, I, this is the only time I'm ever gonna rec recommend um, Dave Ramsey. Uh, Dave Ramsey is great at teaching people how to get out of debt, Dave Ramsey is not great at teaching you how to make money, in my opinion. That's yeah. my opinion. I like him for plenty of reasons, dislike him for others. But the debt snowball effect is great, and it will teach you how to get out of debt effectively. What that strategy is, is we select our lowest account first, and we just beat that sucker up, get it paid off, and then we don't use it. And then we move on to the next one. Okay? Um, so just bring those debts down. That's so, so huge in maintaining good credit. And realistically, that's kind of the main point when we're talking about credit cards and stuff of that nature. Now, let's talk about the little nuances of what inquiries are all about because this is one of our most common asked questions and let's talk about how they really do affect credit. So, there's many different tolerances when we're talking about a hard credit pull, okay? So when I get a hard credit pull from, let's say I'm searching for a merchant account for my business, that credit pull is not going to hold on the same standards of me getting a, applying for a credit card or applying for a house, okay? Same with applying for a house doesn't apply to the same standards as applying for an inquiry. It, they all affect your scores by the same amount, but when we're going through a lending type process, the banks look at inquiries to make sure that you're not hitting banks in their, their sector like if you're applying for a credit card, they don't want you to apply for nine more at the same time, okay? Um, at the same time, if you're applying for a mortgage, they don't want you to shop 12 different mortgages at the same time because that's warning them, hey, this guy's going to 12 different people. He right. could get him in a, in a bad situation, right? So you never want to get more than three inquiries in a six-month period of time is what I always tell people. But please understand this can be fairly difficult to do when we're when so many people today require credit scores to do things okay so understand that no more than three inquiries in a six-month period of time and when people say that it's a soft pull it's a soft pull and when people say it's a hard pull it's a hard pull when people are telling you if when you're shopping for a uh, an apartment and they're like it's a soft pull guys it's not going to affect your credit score the only way that a soft pull is actually viewable for anybody is you have to go to annualcreditreport.com and request a printed credit report to send to you that you can get one free per year. It's the only place you can actually view your own soft pulls. Commercially, no one can view them. Um, the only people that can view soft pulls commercially would be in very specific cases. If I have a loan out with you, I can actually soft pull your credit and see other soft pulls 
that deal with loans in my space because that's just a protection issue for lenders. Um, but soft pulls do not affect credit, guys. They're not going to affect your score or do anything. Now, hard pulls, this is a different scenario. Hard pulls will affect your score by 10% overall. So what that means, if I have an 850, I could experience 85 points of drop based on inquiries. Now, typically, that's not going to occur unless I have quite a few of them, but those are the tolerances. No more than three in a six-month period of time. That's always going to keep you in great standings, and you always want to make sure that you understand the difference between a hard and a soft pull. So, so yeah, can I ask a couple clarifying questions? Of course. Um, so, first of all, I just want to make sure I, I notated what you said properly. You're basically saying the only situation where a lender can see a soft pull, rec see a record of soft pulls, is if you already have credit with that lender. Yes, and they're only allowed in certain industries. Like, so for example, if I have a credit card with Chase, I can view soft pulls from other credit card lenders. Um, because I have the right to do that. That it's very specific reasonings like that. That's the only time a soft pull is ever commercially viewable. Gotcha. And when okay. Um, that makes perfect sense. So then the other thing I want to clarify is when you talk about three inquiries within a six month period. So for someone like me, you mentioned merchant accounts, you mentioned multiple, you know, multiple business, like anytime if I have, you know, eight different businesses, which I know most people don't, but let's just say that I do, or I have, you know, I'm doing lots of deals and they're all anchored, to, you know, at some level, they're always going to underwrite back to my personal credit, exactly. at least to some degree. I mean, it could be almost impossible. I mean, I might have 25 inquiries in six months, but so when you say no more than three, are you saying no more than three within whatever category you're looking to borrow money in? Or you're saying no more than three across the board, ideally? Uh, no more than three across the board, ideally. Now, there's a couple things that can help with this. Um, again, if you do research on good credit repair companies, you can actually take multiple inquiries that were issued on the same day and turn them into affecting your credit by only one inquiry. Um, that's a credit repair process that will help um, increase a score without getting inquiries removed. The other thing that I would highly suggest is inquiries are typically easily to be removed. And just to let you know, in order for an inquiry to be on your credit and to be legal, you have to sign a piece of paper, okay? Mm. If you don't sign a piece of paper, it is not a viable and legal inquiry and it should not be on your credit. So if this is such a common occurrence, because when I go down to the car place to get a car loan, they run my credit 30 times because they're shopping for a loan. Right. And what you need to understand is you need to go to a credit repair company and say, hey, look, I never signed for any of these. They should be removed and you should get charged a, a couple hundred bucks and they'll clean them all up very quickly, right? Okay. Um, so that's something to be very aware of. And you just, whatever industry you're searching in, with the exception of cars and secured loans, secured loans are a whole different ball game. And I'm not an expert in secured debt by any means. I'm an expert in unsecured debt. I'm a professional in unsecured debt. That's what I work on, right? Unsecured debt is very inquiry sensitive when we're talking about specific industries. 
Um, this means uh, if we're getting a credit card uh, or a bank line or a term loan or anything of this stuff that's unsecured, they're so, so inquiry sensitive. If we have over two to three inquiries in a six month period of time, you almost every time will get declined simply on the basis of inquiries. Um, and this is, this, is, this is why you need to, again, maintain and watch your credit because so many times people aren't even monitoring their credit to find out how many inquiries they have. If I was to interview 100 people, 99 of them, actually I would probably say 100 of them would right. actually know what their scores are, how many inquiries they have because they're not monitoring it daily or weekly. You should be monitoring your credit daily or weekly because crazy things can happen. Credit can, is built over a lifetime and destroyed in a week. Hmm. Because we What's have a, a collection. What, sorry, go ahead. I, I, go ahead. No, finish what you said. I didn't mean to cut you off. If we have a collection that hits our account for $2,500, we could have a point drop of 150 points. And it could be something yeah. that shouldn't even been placed on our credit because we were misbuilt. This is why it's important to monitor credit. What, uh, what site do you recommend for credit monitoring? Are you comfortable well, answering that or would you rather? I'm, okay, I'm, I'm gonna give everybody a disclosure. So please understand, I own my own credit monitoring site. So I'm a little biased in that fact. If you're just monitoring your credit for just normal purposes, honest credit monitoring, they're the best out there. Um, yeah. Full disclosure, I get paid for that, okay? Because it's my company. Um, now. If I was in a loan situation, even when people come to my company through Lending America, I tell people to monitor through Experian. And the reason I tell people to monitor through Experian is two purposes. They give you a free Experian report every single day that you log on. Um, and they give you real FICO 8 scoring models, which is very important when we're talking about a commercial loan or a personal loan, especially in the unsecured side because most of our banks are pulling anywhere from a FICO two to a FICO nine scoring model, okay? So it's important when we're going after loans, I would suggest Experian, but when we're just going after typical monitoring, honest credit monitoring, and again, full disclosure guys, I'm biased there because I own it. Um, we, we have a great service and uh, it's a good product and it's cost effective. So those would be the two sites that I would recommend. Well, I, I think that, it you, this, this conversation has been a fantastic demonstration of the, the truism in business today, which is that if you provide enough value, you earn the right to ask for business. And I think that considering the value that you've just provided, I have absolutely no issue with you saying, hey, honestcreditmonitoring.com, that's my company and you're asking for their business and I think you've earned that right at this point. So, uh, in fact, I'll, I'll go ahead and suggest to people, say, I haven't even been through honestcreditmonitoring.com, but I've been, I've been working with Curtis for, I'm in my third year now and if it's his company, I'll stamp it just for that reason. Um, it's uh, you know, it's, it's so, a great service and a good product. Just understand that I would not suggest using that product if I was going after a loan specifically and I would go to Experian and the reason yeah. being there is because there's a difference between Vantage, which most people can use. And please understand guys, there's actually only two sites out there right now that give you real FICO scoring models that you're gonna have access to. 
when I say you're going to have access to, there are other companies like banks and stuff like that that have their own credit monitoring internal services that you could get if you were a member with them that have FICO, but those are just a handful. Any commercially available is going to be myfico.com or Experian, and Experian is more cost effective. So that's okay. the reason why I would always suggest those guys as hands down, you, you, they have the best credit monitoring product. And the reason they do is because they own Experian. Uh, right. No one can really compete with them in terms of cost. So um, if you're going after a loan, experience phenomenal. Um, it's the best out there if I'm going after for a specific loan purpose. But the biggest problem with them is that they're Experian. And if you want to call and cancel your site, you got to call and stay on hold for seven and a half freaking hours because you're talking to Experian and you have right. to deal with problems. So that's why I'm saying if you're just monitoring your credit for credit health, it's easier to go through a platform like ours because we have a full service staff. If you called up our phones and said, I'm going to castle, my team's going to say, first off, can we lower your rate to see if I can keep you on board or we'll cancel your product right now, right? So um, it's more cost effective and easy in that mannerism. And that's the reason why I'm selecting, suggesting that guys, not only to ask for business, but at the same time to help under people understand the differences there. Cool. Cool. Um, well, man, I, uh, I feel like, I don't know if I can even handle anymore at this point. I mean, <laughs> when it comes to credit and, and leveraging other people's money, I, I, I think that, you know, for me, my big takeaway is there's a whole world out there of that. That's you probably haven't even gone as deep as you could, but I mean, you've gone deep enough to, to prove the point that it's a, it's a crazy world out there when it comes to funding and, money and credit and banks and um, never mind even we have you didn't even get into talking about the different the three different credit bureaus and how to you know not b blow yourself up with one credit bureau and sp you know spread it out I mean that's that's a whole thing we've talked about before but like there's so much to know uh, you know my takeaway here is that it, frankly the best thing to know is the right person in the industry I, I would agree with that fullheartedly and, you know I don't I actually don't know all the stuff that you told me. And, and frankly, two weeks from now, I fully intend to have forgotten a lot of it because I have a friend in the industry named Curtis Nally. And so, you know, I'd like to suggest to everyone that if you have, you know, if you just want to monitor your credit for good health, that's great. If you have a specific agenda, Curtis has laid it out pretty well, but I know Curtis well enough to, to know that if you really, if you want help and you have a specific reason and, and a thing that you're trying to do, Curtis is the guy. So, Curtis, how would they get a hold of you uh, if they want to go beyond the plan that you just laid out and actually, you know, counsel them on their, their specific case, maybe get a referral to good credit repair, uh, maybe just ask more questions, or ultimately maybe get actual money to start a business, how would they reach you for any of that? So, um, the first thing that I would always suggest for everybody is start with our website and start by just searching us on Google. Um, there's great information out there about our company and I want anybody to come to my company through these type of resources so they know who we are and what we're about before they ever even apply with us. Um, and it's very important to understand this before I'm even going to give my telephone number out to people. I cannot do anything to help you without a credit report and I will not do that unless you have an Experian report. Okay. Um, 
The reason being is because when you come to my business, you are coming to me to get a loan. And in order for me to fulfill and take care of you, I need the best service available to monitor your credit because it's so vastly important. So that is why when you go to my site, it has a pre-approval form that walks you through. It takes you to credit check total, which is Experian. The only reason why we suggest credit check total as a website, guys, is because it has the dollar seven-day trial, um, which is important because it's a $39 membership per month. I think $29 per month. And typically, we want to review it in that seven-day period. So if it's so bad we can't do anything with, we can get them on a cheaper platform or do something different so they're not incurring that additional cost, okay? Um, so first off, go to our website and please fill out a form. Um, even if you're so one of those people, because I ask for username and passwords, and the reason being is because we need to log on and actually see real information. So I always tell people, look, you need to change and make a generalized username and password that you're not using for anything else because we don't want any of this private information. We just, we're a professional loan company with licenses, guys. We deal with social security numbers and bank accounts every day legally, and we're fully secured as an institution. So trust us. That's why I'm on the Forbes Financial Council, for Christ's sakes, right? <laughs> um, uh, at the end of the day, fill out that app and that's going to be the first point of contact because then my staff is going to be able to service your needs and help you. Okay. The secondary thing is then our telephone number of course is 801-312-9099. And that web address for everybody is lendingamericallc.com. And again, 801-312-9099 and lendingamericallc.com. Those are going to be two of the best resources. Um, and if you guys are just fans of Facebook, please feel free to add me on Facebook. It is the only social platform that I even use. Um, other than a YouTube channel that I'm launching in a few weeks, I don't use Instagram. I don't use, um, all these other platforms because again, like we discussed earlier, we're a very weird business that, uh, does things very differently than other institutions. So, and when you say on Facebook, are you referring to, uh, a personal? Yes. Facebook? When adding me on Facebook, my name's Curtis Nally. You can add me personally on Facebook. I am very, I actually go through and make sure that people are real and I keep my Facebook friends low because I like providing free value to people. And it's one of the easiest resources for people to actually interact with me. So if you add me on Facebook, you like one of my things. So we get that algorithm going and you actually see me. Um, that would be a great resource to actually get free information and actually have an opportunity to connect with me as an individual person, because please understand I have a full staff. And if you call up my office and ask for me, you're typically not going to get to me without a, a very scheduled appointment for a very specific reason. Cool. Cool. Um, I actually, I went, since we're friends on Facebook, I went and grabbed your link and I'll put it in the description so people can get right to you. Um, man, I appreciate your time. This is probably longer than we budgeted because it was honestly better than anything I even expected from a, from a value and knowledge perspective. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tremendous value. Reach out to Curtis, get a hold of Lending America, uh, for your business and education funding needs. Like they are the best of the best. They are my company, Entras. They are our, uh, preferred, uh, 
I would say exclusive lender for those types of loans. Um, I just have huge implicit trust in Curtis and Curtis, man, I appreciate your time so much. Yeah, I appreciate your time as well, Jeff. And uh, I, we appreciate the business. Um, everybody in the entrepreneur community, um, I can tell you one thing, I, I've worked with a lot of people over the years and Jeff, in terms of integrity and what you guys are doing, um, I stand behind your guys' company full heartedly and I'm, I'm, I love uh, working with your clients. Uh, it's actually been awesome um, experience for our business and I, I've valued the, the friendships and the relationships that we have over the number of years. Well, I appreciate that, man. I really do. None, none of that was scripted or, or planned, by the way. We actually just really <laughs> like each other. So th thanks for that. Um, if this is your first time watching uh, one of my videos or listening to, to the show, um, please, you know, I, I invite you to, this is the kind of stuff I do. It's just like getting the real true information to people about what it takes to create an amazing life, to get out of the rat race, to break the molds, to do better than your guidance counselor, every probably predicted for you when you were in school. Um, and this, you know, this kind of information is, is game changing. So I invite you to subscribe to my channel, come to my YouTube channel. If you're on the, the, sh uh, the podcast, come to my YouTube channel, make sure when you do subscribe that you actually click the bell. So you get notified. If you've liked this video, please give me a thumbs up. If you have a question, you could also leave a comment or, or a question or a comment and leave a comment below the video. And just thank you everybody for watching. I appreciate it so much that I get, I get to, this is considered work for Curtis and I. Like we're at work right now. Cool. How cool is that? Because of the amazing people out there that value this information. So thanks to everyone. Make it a fantastic day and I'll see you on the next video or on the next podcast. Curtis, thank you again. Take care. Bye. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entranation.com. That is www www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.